Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. This past Sunday, the Catholic Church celebrated a wonderful feast, the Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord, also known as Candle Mass. And I love this liturgy, and I was so excited that we were able to have it for the Sunday liturgy, to do it with the uh, larger parish community. And I don't know if you experienced this at your parish, but the tradition is to have a great procession with candles being lit in the back of the church and then a procession in to the church with all the candles. That's why we call it Candle Mass. But why do all this attention? Why do we have all this attention on light and candles? And what's the significance of this? And why is this feast day so important? I think sometimes we as Catholics, we might think, you know, well, Easter and Christmas, those are really important days and maybe Ascension and Pentecost. But the presentation of Jesus, I mean, yeah, he's a 40 day old baby being presented to the temple. I guess it's an important day, but is it really that important? Do we need all this extra ritual and symbolism on this feast day? What's the meaning of this day? I would actually argue that the presentation of the Lord, that moment when Jesus was brought to the temple as a 40 day old baby was a turning point in the history of the entire world. Uh, it's not just a climactic moment in Jesus's life. It's really a climactic moment in salvation history, in the Bible. And I want to bring us in on that today. So welcome to the All Things Catholic podcast. I'm your host, Edward Sri, and I have just returned. Really, I just got back from the Holy Land. Well, maybe not the Holy Land of Israel, but the Holy Land of Cajun country down in Louisiana. It was awesome. I was down there presenting uh, for the diocese and parish leaders, but I also got a chance to give a talk uh, for, for the students at LSU, the national champions there. Uh, so that was a lot of fun to, to be there. And uh, I would just want to give a shout out to all those students. And I'm praying for you all that you continue to live TOB well. That's what we were talking about, love and responsibility, JP2's vision for love and sexuality. And, uh, and thank you also for hosting me. I had some awesome Cajun food, great gumbo, alligator. It was great. <laughs> but um, but I want to I reflect on what just happened in the mass this last Sunday when we got to see the candles and the procession coming in. What, what is this all about? Well, I want to bring into the story. Remember, Jesus is a 40-day-old baby and there was the, the tradition of presenting the firstborn to the temple and Mary and Joseph are following that tradition and Mary's going through through her own ritual purification, which was another tradition after you have a baby, the mother has to be ritually purified. And this would take place on the 40th day of the child's life. And as Mary, you can picture her going up the steps of the temple and she she's greeted by this stranger, some old man she's never met before. And it'd be kind of startling, I would think, you know, this, this man named Simeon uh, just all of a sudden comes up to Mary, takes the baby out of Mary's arms <laughs> and is holding Mary's child, this stranger, this old man that maybe Mary has probably never met before. And all of a sudden, Simeon looks up to heaven and says, my eyes have seen your salvation, uh, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel. And I think those words tell us something important. You know, oftentimes as Catholics, we reflect on the other half of the presentation story when Simeon goes on and talks about Mary being pierced by a sword. And I've done podcasts on that one before as well. This beautiful thing on that. I want to talk about Simeon's words, though. Let's really reflect on this and what it tells us about the mass, the liturgy we just celebrated for the presentation. You see, 
he's talking about light. Jesus, this child is the light of the world. But I think the word that really stands out for me as having great importance here is the word glory. He says, this child is glory for the people of Israel. Now, if we were Jews in the first century and we heard this prophet, Simeon, talk about the glory for Israel, what would we be thinking about? When we think about glory in the Bible, we might be thinking about the glory of the Lord, the the visible manifestation of God's holy presence. I don't know if you remember the story, but when Israel got to Mount Sinai after the Exodus and and God comes down upon the mountain when he gives Moses the Ten Commandments, he comes down in the form of a cloud. And that cloud is referred to as God's glory. And the glory of the Lord fills the tent of meeting that Moses builds there at Mount Sinai, the sanctuary, this portable temple that they're going to take around the desert during their 40-year journey. And and the God of the universe dwells inside this tent over the Ark of the Covenant. So this is very special here when you hear about this idea of the glory, the glory of Israel. You might be thinking of the glory of the Lord, God's holy presence that filled the tent of meeting, that covered the Ark of the Covenant. You read about that in Exodus 40. Later in Israel's history, they eventually build a a temple in Jerusalem, an actual building, and that's going to be the center for worship now. And they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies of the temple. And at that moment, the glory of the Lord comes down and fills the Holy of Holies, filling the temple with his presence. And once again, that's the idea of God's glory, the God of the universe dwelling with Israel in the temple over the Ark of the Covenant. So God loves all nations, but he dwells with one nation, his chosen people, because he's going to use them as his instrument to reach out and get to the rest of the world. But the glory of the Lord didn't stay with Israel forever. We know that later in their history, centuries after the temple was built, we read about this in in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11. Ezekiel is given a vision of the glory of the Lord departing from the temple. Yeah, the people were were disobeying. They were breaking God's covenant. They were worshiping other gods. And God has sent many prophets to warn the people, to call them to repent, but they just didn't. And so finally, God says, uh, uh, they're going to lose this land. They're going to lose this city. They're going to lose this temple, a foreign nation, Babylon. Babylon's going to come in and destroy this place, destroy the temple and carry the people off into slavery. And so Ezekiel has this vision, this vision in Ezekiel 10 and 11 of the glory of the Lord rising up above the temple, leaving the temple, rising up above the city of Jerusalem and then departing. And it was an ominous sign that God's presence was no longer with the people in Jerusalem. And and so what what happens at this moment is the the glory of the Lord leaves and then Babylon eventually comes in, destroys the temple as, as was prophesied. And the Jewish people eventually come back and they rebuild the temple in 515 BC, but the temple wasn't the same. It was missing that which made it holy, what made the holy of holies so holy. And that was the holy presence of God, the glory of the Lord. And so God's glory is no longer with the temple. We don't have any biblical account of the glory of the Lord returning to the temple after that temple was rebuilt. So for five centuries, there's a temple there and it is the the central sanctuary for the people of Israel, the central place of worship. And it's still holy ground because the God of the universe at one time had dwelt there, right there on that very spot over the Ark of the Covenant. But 
There was no ark in this new temple that was built. The ark had been hidden by the prophet Jeremiah, and the Bible says the ark would never be found again. And so the people in Jesus's day, they, they have a temple and they offer sacrifice there and they still worship God there. And they remember that God at one time had dwelt there, but the glory of the Lord was not there. And they knew it. The Ark of the Covenant was not there, but the people had hope. And the prophets foretold that one day God's glory, the cloud would come back to the people of Israel. There's this longing for God to come and be with them again. The, the Jews, especially in Jesus's day, are yearning for that to come to fulfillment. So I want you to now imagine the scene, the scene of the presentation of Jesus. Mary is walking up the steps of the temple and there is Simeon. Simeon sees the Christ child that Mary is holding. She, he takes the Christ child in his arms and standing in the barren temple, the temple that has been barren, the, the temple that has not held the presence of the Lord, the glory of the Lord for over five centuries. This man, Simeon, says as he's holding this child, this child is light to the nations and glory for the people of Israel. Glory for Israel. In other words, he's saying the glory of the Lord has returned. God's holy presence for the first time in over 500 years has returned to the holy temple, has returned to the people of Israel. What a moment that would have been. And do you see how uh, this is the fulfillment of prophecy? This is the fulfillment of Israel's longings for God to come back and be with the people again. And he's coming back, not in the form of a cloud, but he's coming back in his very presence in Jesus. Jesus, the God-man, the God who takes on human flesh, he's the new glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord returning to the temple. You know, I think there's a lot of practical application for our lives here today because we have to realize that in our churches, we have that same glory of the Lord, that glory of the Lord, Jesus Christ now dwelling in the tabernacles in our churches. Do you ever think of your church this way? Do you think of your church the way the ancient Jews maybe saw their temple, the place that housed God's presence? Well, we have God's presence not in a form of a cloud. He is present with us, his very body, blood, soul, and divinity with us in the Eucharist, in the tabernacle. You know, it's amazing that, you know, the, the Holy of Holies of old, you know, when, when it did have the Ark of the Covenant and the glory of the Lord was dwelling there, no one could enter it. No one, you couldn't just walk in and go, hey, I want to say hi to God today. <laughs> you couldn't do that. You can just walk in and, hey, I want to go say a little prayer and, and, and enter into the holy presence of God. You couldn't do that. There was only one person one person on the face of the earth that could ever go into that innermost chamber of the temple, the Holy of Holies, where the glory of the Lord was and the, and the Ark of the Covenant was. And that person was the high priest. And even he, the high priest, could only get access to God's intimate presence just once a year. Only once a year, he could go into the innermost chamber of the temple, the, the Holy of Holies. And yet here we are in our world today, we have access to the holy presence of God. In some, time, in some cases, 24-7, if you have an adoration chapel or perpetual adoration chapel, you can go in to your holy of holies. Do you ever think of that? That your adoration chapel is like the holy of holies. Your, your church 
that has the tabernacle in it is, is like the Holy of Holies. And you don't have to be a high priest. You don't have to wait for the big feast day to go into the temple. You can go anytime. You, you can have access to God. You can draw near to him. I mean, this is what Simeon is yearning for. For, for his whole life, he's longing to see the Messiah, to see this Christ child. And he finally gets to hold him in his arms that day of the presentation. We become like Simeon when we don't just get to hold Jesus in our arms. We actually get to receive him, to receive him on our tongues, to have him come in and enter into our very souls. In fact, here's another way of looking at it. You become a new tent of meeting. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You become a tent of meeting. You become like the Ark of the Covenant that carried God's glory, that carried the holy presence of the Lord. You become like the temple. You become a holy of holies every time you receive holy communion. This is why we should really recapture that practice of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving after receiving holy communion. Do you take that time? to really rest with the Lord, to, to talk to him, to share your needs with him, to listen to him? Do you, do, you take that, do you take that time to rest with your beloved, your bridegroom, Jesus? You know, uh, if you think about, again, how, how reverent any, was, any Jew was when they approached just the outer chambers of the temple. But imagine if you were the high priest and you were going to go into the Holy of Holies for that one time you know, uh, of the year, just how reverential you would have been, how your heart would have been full with love, how your heart would be pouring out and concentrating in prayer in that moment that you can actually draw near the glory of the Lord. Wow, that, that would be just amazing if you were a priest like that. But yet we get to receive Jesus. We get to enter the Holy of Holies in our own hearts after communion. I think that's what the Feast of the Presentation can tell us, that it can remind us of how the Lord is the glory of the Lord, right? Yeah, that's That was the psalm. If you remember, the psalm from Sunday was uh, about the glory of the Lord, the, the responsorial psalm. He is the King of glory. The glory of the Lord is returning to the temple. And he returned to the temple on the Feast of the Presentation, but he returns to the temple of our churches at every Mass, uh, he returns to the temple of our churches in the tabernacle where he remains and he returns uh, uh, and is present with us, remaining with us in our adoration chapels. But most of all, he returns into our souls every Sunday, every mass, every time we receive him in Holy Communion. Let's approach the Eucharist at adoration in our chapels, in our churches, and especially in communion at Mass. Let's approach him with the same yearning and reverence that Simeon had. His whole life was centered on this moment to hold the glory of, of the Lord in his arms. Let's realize that that almighty, infinite God is dwelling within us every time we receive Holy Communion. Well, I hope you enjoyed this reflection. I hope it helped make a little more sense out of the unique liturgy we had this particular Sunday with the presentation falling on a Sunday. And if you want a little more on this, check out my website, edwardsree.com. I've got a number of resources about the Bible, about Mary. And I wrote about this particularly in my book, Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. Uh, it's a new book that I have out this last year that is all about every little detail of Mary's life in the Bible. And I really walk through the meaning of the presentation scene through Mary's eyes. And so some of what I'm sharing with you is, is based on reflections in that book called Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. Uh, check out my 
my uh, social media as well. You can always reach out to me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And if you're brand new to the show, welcome to the show. And just know you can get free show notes each week. You can get those at ascensionpress.com slash all things Catholic. Again, check out ascensionpress.com, all things Catholic. God bless.